Hello, I'm Pastor Eric Longman. Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Rogers, Arkansas. Each week we gather to talk through some passage of scripture or some interesting topic that has come up in the life of a church, and we invite you to come along for the ride and to listen in. Just a bit of a setup, Holy Trinity is a member congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, or LCMS. We believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we place Jesus and his suffering, death, and resurrection for the sake of sinful people like you and me at the center of our teaching. You should know going in that I'm very much open to exploring rabbit holes in Bible study. I take on it as simple. Whatever passage of scripture we're looking at is just an entry point. It gets us into God's word and it opens the door for the discussion to go wherever the Holy Spirit takes us. So don't be surprised when we wander down some pathways that maybe are only tangentially related to the topic at hand. It makes for some interesting conversations, and we're blessed with a group that's happy to share their experiences along the way. So with that, let's jump in to this week's episode. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. I pray that you've learned a bit, that you met Jesus, and that your faith was built up through the discussion that you just heard. If you want to learn more about Holy Trinity, you can visit our website. It's www.holytrend.org. The website for the LCMS, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is www.lcms.org. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a great week. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Longman. Um, just a reminder, we do record this for our podcast, so don't say anything that you don't want to have on the internet forever. You know. Um, first off, as b- before we get started, just any questions about anything? I guess y'all got by okay without me last week. Was it a girl or a boy? It's a girl. Her name is Evangeline Ray. She was 6 pounds, 11 ounces, 19 and a half inches long, and perfect. 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 That's healthy baby. Yeah. She's got some lungs on her, too. That girl can scream. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fortunately, she does most of her screaming in the middle of the night, so it really is their problem. Because during the daytime when we were cuddling with her, she was great, huh? Yeah, yeah. Thank you all for giving me the opportunity to be there, though. That was that was neat. Um, to get to hold her when she was minutes old was pretty cool. So, thank you, thank you. That up close and personal sermon was, was a little hard Was it a little much too in your face? Was that? I tried to sit back a little bit from the camera, but... <laughs> did, actually, I did that on Thursday as a just-in-case, not knowing when we were going to get called down there or if we would. Um, so, so, in fact, the sermon manuscript has a, in brackets, you know, if you're watching this on video, that I was going to take out if I had to preach it in person. Um, how did Pastor uh, Mike do last week? What did y'all cover? You do good? I guess he's a keeper. He's a natural. He's a natural. <laughs> I heard y'all did parables last week. Is that right? Oh, we did all kinds of things. You would have been surprised. Really? Whoa. Wow. 
He had small group discussion too. Well, we well, did. Kinda. We didn't move. We didn't move. Yeah. <laughs> he tried. He <laughs> tried. Not for nothing, but I know y'all have small group discussion while we're doing it, and it's okay. Well, it was the big meeting I was thinking of. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. 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 we didn't do everything on the list. Oh, really? We didn't do oh. one thing on except talk about the. Oh yeah, I heard. The, yeah, the agenda was just thrown out, right? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, is this going to have to be online? <laughs> but we didn't run him down any rabbit holes this time. <laughs> really? They were shallow. Oh okay. All right. I'm impressed. What? Yeah. Really? That was the one thing I failed to ask for. Yes. You're covered. I'm sorry. Did they get added to it? Well, see, they they're not out where I am, so it didn't matter to me. So, <laughs> cool. They did tell us they were. You're coming to join us. Yay! They said what? I'm sorry. Yeah, they're they're expanding. So, very good. Yeah, no, we were just talking about you. In fact. That's what I heard. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, good. I I heard attendance was really strong, so maybe I ought to leave more often. Ran out of food first time. Wow, that's amazing. Because we had so many more people. That's awesome. That's good. All right. Cool. Any other questions about anything? So, I mean, just in case anybody doesn't know, y'all passed the uh, the proposal from Ozarks Go. Yeah. So they um, they're going to build a fiber hut on the back corner of the property. The papers were signed on Friday. Um, so you know, as I talk with them and I get updates on the construction schedule and that kind of stuff, I'll let you know. Well, the most um, interesting thing is they backed from the highway clear out there with no matter what kind of vehicle they're bringing in, even. Big oh, they start by backing in. Wow, it's really? Not driving anything big. No way to turn anything big. Yeah. Anything but it's, right. and they do it. They watch them. They know if they did it right or not. What they're yeah. going to send is they're going to send a thing yeah. over and take a picture of before, before and after. Well, they're going to do it while they're backing too. It says they they know exactly how they're getting they it. Wow, probably got a camera on the yeah. truck or something. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Neat. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. I, I'm yeah, looking forward to it. Okay. Do you have any extra fours left? Or yes? So, yeah, somebody got a session four we can give up? So the one we're on is says session four. All right. Um, Oh, Mike, I'm losing them, Pastor. I'm losing them. You can write that somewhere. I heard you threw that curveball at them. All right. Um, we're in, yeah, session four about Jesus Christ. We're about halfway through it. Um, we'll begin with a devotion. This is from John chapter 1, verse 17. The teachings were given through Moses, but kindness and truth came into existence through Jesus Christ. And the title of this is The Kindness and Truth of Christ. We need to learn how to clearly distinguish the laws in Moses' teaching from the undeserved kindness in Christ. 
We always have to keep the role of Christ separate from the role of Moses and make a clear distinction between the two. We need to know precisely what purpose each one fulfills so that we don't become confused. I was confused about this distinction myself for over 30 years. This is Luther writing. I just couldn't believe that Christ wanted to show his kindness to me. The first commandment teaches us that God wants us to sincerely trust him. Yet we must also fear him above everything else. In other words, a Christian is like a child who has been punished, but who still loves his father and is confident that his father still loves him. The good works required by the first commandment are far better than wearing special clothes or fasting, praying, and all the other good works that religious people have invented. So the good works required by the first commandment are holy and they must be obeyed. But who can live up to them? Certainly no one can completely obey the first commandment. Everyone is a sinner, except for Christ. Christ, however, comes to you and says, I have shed my blood for you. My blood cries out on your behalf. And so out of his undeserved kindness, he brings you the forgiveness of your sins at no cost to you whatsoever. So, good reminder. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for um, the opportunity to gather together around uh, the confessions and around your word and to learn from them and be, be taught. We pray that you would open the hearts of our, the eyes of our hearts so that we might uh, read and understand the truths that you want us to take from them. Um, be with us, guide us, lead us today, we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Did anybody else not get to sign? I got you. I got you. I got to take a new count now, though. Can you do me a favor? Can you count how many people are here? All right. Okay, so we're in... We're in session four. We're talking about um, Jesus Christ, who he is, and what the confessions say about him. And I'm going to just to kind of I'll back up a little bit to kind of get us oriented here. We're looking really at um, three different sections of the of the Augsburg Confession. So we're looking at, at um, the Confession, Article Three. Wow, John. <laughs> Article, well, two sections, I'm sorry. Article 3 and um, Article 21. And I'll just, I'll read these to you so we've got some context. Our churches teach that the Word, that is the Son of God, assumed the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So there are two natures, the divine and the human, inseparably joined in one person. There is one Christ, true God and true man, who was born of the Virgin Mary, truly suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. He did this to reconcile the Father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of mankind. He also descended into hell and truly rose again on the third day. Afterward, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. There he forever reigns and has dominion over all creatures. He sanctifies those who believe in him by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive. He defends them against the devil and the power of sin. 
the same Christ will openly come again to judge the living and the dead and so forth according to the Apostles' Creed. That's all from um, Article 3. From Article 21 then, our churches teach that the history of saints may be set before us so that we may follow the example of their faith and good works according to our calling. But the scriptures do not teach that we're to call on the saints or ask the saints for help. Scripture sets before us the one Christ as the mediator, atoning sacrifice, high priest, and intercessor. He is to be prayed to. He has promised that he will hear our prayer. This is the worship that he approves above all other worship, that he be called upon in all afflictions. 1 John 2.1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So we talked last time about um, Jesus as true God. Um, and, and the question was, what words described his deity and how did he show his divine nature and power on earth? And the words that describe the deity of Jesus were, our churches teach that the word, that is the son of God, um, both of those emphasize the deity. He's eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, and perfect. He showed his divine nature and power in this world through his miracles and by rising from the dead and ascending into heaven, basically doing God things. And that's sort of the indicator that this guy is God. Okay? So where we left off was question 47 then. Jesus is true man. We get the other side of the coin here. What words describe his humanity and how did he show his human nature on earth? He had human emotions. Okay, he had emotions, sure. He had emotions. So, yeah. He got tired and he ate. He got tired, he ate. What else? Other emotions? He got angry. Okay, yeah. Purging the temple, right? He got happy. I mean, he happy? Things concerning him about the way people were being treated. Yep, yep. He cried. He cried, yeah. Jesus he wept. Cried. That shortest verse that confirmation kids always want to use is their yeah. two, two words. Jesus wept. <laughs> Memorize it. Um, yeah, what, what else? Like, what are the words in the... Say it again? Born and died. Born and died, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't come down on a UFO. Right. He did not come down on a UFO. No. He was born the way any of us would be born, right? Not conceived the way any of us are conceived. Yeah. He also welcomed children. Okay, yeah, so kindness and, and compassion and, yeah, welcome children. Good. He felt pain. Ooh, he felt pain, yeah. Mm. Good one. Mm. Big one. Good one. Big one. Anything else? He died. He died? He was buried. <laughs> I was suffered, buried, good. Suffered. suffered. Go ahead, H.T. You know, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Okay. Um, he didn't get corrupted by having the power of God as well as being a human Right, being. right. And I think a, a simple human would use the power of God. Yeah. We, I think we pulled that passage up last time, didn't we? And he was uh, tempted as well. Tempt, yeah, that's right. He, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, I think it's Philippians 2. Yeah, okay, so Philippians 2, Paul writes, um, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, yeah, I mean, he was in, in his human nature, had access to his divine nature, obviously, and yet didn't use that for evil intent. Yeah, right. Right. So we talk about, theologically, we talk about the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. A lot of it coming from this passage from Philippians. The humiliation of Christ is his birth and life on earth. And the exaltation then is his passion and his crucifixion and then his resurrection and ascension. So why would we call that his humiliation? It seems a strange term to apply. He's God and he didn't have to endure it. Yeah. And this is God, the creator of everything, through whom everything was made, and yet he humbled himself, to use Paul's word, to become part of creation, to step into the creation that he had built. And so it's humiliation in the sense that he humbled himself, that he came from his level as God down to our level. And then his exaltation is when he finally takes on the work that he had come to do to redeem us, He's exalted back to his place as he does that work on our behalf, right? Thoughts, comments, questions? Robert? He was a teacher also. He was a teacher, yeah, 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 good. Um, so in terms of the language that's in the confession, the humanity of Jesus comes out in these words, assumed the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he did it by being born, suffering, being crucified, dying, all the things that you guys said, um, and being buried. And he also experienced, as you said, every human condition except for sin. Right? Um, so why is it necessary for Christ to be both God and man? Only God can forgive sin. Okay. Tell me more about that. Well, uh, man can't forgive it. Right. So uh, it had to come from God. Even the, even the ancients knew that. <laughs> well, it sure freaked out the Pharisees when he did it, yeah. right? Who can forgive sin? But right, God. right. And there's a there's a, a wonderful scene that's in Mark, I think, yeah. maybe chapter two, where where you know there's this whole crowd. He's gathered around in somebody's living room, and Jesus is kind of holding court. You know, he's telling them about what's going on, and a bunch of guys come with a paralytic, and and they can't get in. They're, the place is packed and they can't get into the house. So they're like, the heck with this. They climb up on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof. Remember, the roof was, was basically layers of mud and, and plant matter and stuff. They dig a hole in the roof and then they lower their buddy down right in front of right Jesus. And, <laughs> which is just terrific just to imagine that. But the guy comes down and Jesus' first words are, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, what? wait, what? And the Pharisees were mad. Like, they were angry that he had said that. Because who can forgive sins but God alone? And he goes, all right, cool, fine. So just so that you know that the Son of Man, he's using that term, we talked about that from Daniel, right? He's kind of pulling that forward. Just so that you know that the Son of Man can forgive sins, hang on, I'm going to prove it to you. And he goes, get up and walk. And the guy stands up and he takes his mat and he walks out. And so what Jesus is doing is he's using that power, right, to emphasize and underscore his divinity and to say, listen, I'm standing here with you, but 
I'm more than that too. And I am the one who can forgive sins. And by the way, I can heal too. And he does that. So that's that's a part of it. Why else was it important that he be God and man? John says because he did signs. John said the signs point us. Yeah, yeah, kind of like the way that story did, right? That the signs sort of underscore and emphasize who he is and why it's important that he's here. Yeah. Satisfy the law. Satisfy the law. Okay. In what sense? How do you mean? All the things that were sinful, he passed them. I mean, he did not sin in any of the commandments or any of the law. So, in a yeah, so in that sense, he's a stand-in for you, right? He does for you the thing that you can't do. But he had to be from the human side in order to do that. Yeah, right. For the sacrifice to matter. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what you're talking about, and I like that a lot, the, the idea that he came like to do the things that we couldn't do and to do them perfectly... Um, it stands out most, I think, when he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John's like, hold up. <laughs> He's like, yeah, right? He's like, this is like all backwards. And, and he says, Jesus says, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness, which is kind of your point. He's like, I- I'm, I'm doing this not for me, but for y'all. Now, where does that come from? And, and you've probably heard me say it before that if you want to understand what Jesus is doing, You've got to read Exodus. Because Exodus, Exodus was kind of the first wave of this, if you want to call it that, where, where God is going to bring his people out of slavery. And he does it through water. Okay, right? And he, brings them, he brings them through the Red Sea on solid ground, and then the water comes back and it, it defeats all of Pharaoh's forces and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the whole intention was to bring them out and into a promised land where things were better, where they were not enslaved any longer. And it becomes a metaphor for our enslavement to sin and, and being brought out of it. And what happens is, with the Exodus, Israel, God's chosen ones, can't pull it off. They can't do it. And, and I had a professor in the seminary who loved to say, God was able to get Israel out of Egypt, but he never could get Egypt out of Israel. <laughs> yeah, right? But because they carried that sin with them. And so their, quote, baptism as they were brought through the Red Sea didn't accomplish what it was supposed to because they came into the promised land and they failed to do the things that they were supposed to do. They were told, you know, on some occasion to kill everybody, to take no, you know, no loot or anything like that. They didn't do it. And so all the things that they screw up, what happens and when Jesus comes is he's Israel reduced to one and he does all the things, but he does them perfectly, to your point. And so he accomplishes for us the thing that we can't do. He keeps the law perfectly. And then he, and then, <laughs> and then he takes our sins upon himself and he receives the punishment that we deserve so that that's taken away as well, so that now... For those of us who believe in Christ, we stand before God, and all God sees is Christ's righteousness. And we talked about, you know, the opening of the funeral service, that the, you know, the person was clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covered all their sins. That's what we have too. Thoughts, comments. So Paul was talking about one time that. Um, when you stand before God in your sin, 
and your nakedness and all your sin is evident. God, through Jesus Christ, sees his son. Yeah. Yeah. And, and love in his son. Right. Not your sins, because right. your sins are taken your sins are covered. by the Christ. Yeah, they've been taken away. So when he looks mm -hmm. out at you, he sees the face of his son. Yeah. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh -huh. It is. Is it right to say that communion, when you take the body and blood of Jesus into you, that that is part of God seeing Jesus in you? Yeah, I think that's okay. I mean, the, the beauty of it, I think, is, you know, we can go back to the catechism, right? Like, what, what, is, what, what are the benefits of Holy Communion? And, and it, you know, it works forgiveness, life, and salvation. That's what we talk about. And so it's a means by which Christ conveys that forgiveness to us, but also a way in which he comes to us physically for that, to, you know, to build up our faith, right? To strengthen it, to know that you have received the very body and blood of Christ into your mouth for forgiveness and, 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 and to build up your faith and to strengthen that and to, to reassure you of the promises of God. And, and so all of those things are happening in communion. I mean, it's just, there's so much going on in communion. I, there's a great story I had at um, St. Paul where I used to be. We, had, we were blessed with two, um, um, what do you call it, sign language interpreters who were fabulous, both of them. One of them had grown up um, in the Baptist church. And, and when she went through new member class and we talked about Holy Communion particularly, <laughs> she was visibly agitated and, and we were like what's you know what's the deal and she was like I'm just I'm so mad and we were like what, what are you mad about and she goes nobody ever told me <laughs> that all this was happening <laughs> and it was such a blessing to understand what God is doing through Holy Communion to bring that forgiveness and, and to give us himself and to you know all those things that are happening <laughs> It was like to have her eyes open like that. She was like, oh my gosh, wow. All right, other thoughts. Here we go. We're two questions in. <laughs> what major events of the God-man's life and ministry are noted in Article 3? And then what other events do you recall from the four Gospels? We could be here all day. Um, so first off, Article 3, what are the things that it talks about specifically? First thing it says is the same Christ will openly come again to judge the living and the dead and so forth according to the Apostles' Creed. Okay. So stuff he's gonna do, and if you back up a little bit, he was born, suffered, crucified, died, was buried, descended into hell, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. All those things get listed in Article Three. They sound familiar, don't they? Like what? Where have you heard those words? The creed. The creed, yeah, exactly. So remember what's going on with the with the Augsburg Confession. Luther and, and his and his folks are basically asserting that this new this teaching is not new. That they're not teaching anything weird. As the Catholic Church was claiming, they're teaching what is foundational and what is 
basic to the faith. There's nothing here that's new or novel or unusual or anything like that. And so it's not by accident that you hear echoes of the creed in here because what they're underlining is we're teaching the same faith you are. This is the same faith that has been taught from the apostles and from Jesus all the way back. It's completely consistent with Scripture. So there's a reason that it sounds familiar. Now, what else? What what are the other things in the four Gospels that come to mind that that were important events in Jesus' life and ministry? He taught, not just with words, okay. by example, the way he lived his life. Okay, so he was a he was a teacher in a lot of ways. And, I, and you know, the scriptural passage that keeps coming to mind is that he taught with authority and not as the scribes. Like everybody's like, whoa, every time they heard him preach and speak and teach. Okay, so he taught. What else? Miracles. There's miracles all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. What are some that you remember that just come to mind? Miracles that Jesus did. Raise the dead. Turn water into wine. Raise the dead. Raise the dead. Four times, right? Yes. Was it four times? Even to an unbeliever. There's, yeah. The centurion's daughter. Centurion's daughter. So there's the centurion's daughter. There's um, Lazarus. The, Lazarus. There's the, the son of the widow from Nain. Mm-hmm. And there's one other. Is there one other? Jairus' daughter, which is the, the one she was talking about. Was that the 12-year-old girl? Yeah. Okay. Was there another one? Is it just three? I'm just thinking of those. Three. Well, I think it's just the two. What about the one that came to his earth? Well, he wasn't dead. Oh, okay. It was a miracle, but yeah, he didn't raise him from the dead. So in terms of raising from the dead, yeah, I think it's just those three. All right, so miracles, raise people from the dead. What else? One-on-one with the devil will Oh, yeah. 40 days in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. One-on-one with the devil? He didn't well, He passed through <laughs> physical objects and appeared before them. The door being locked. Yeah, now that happens after his resurrection. Yeah, I know. But I mean, they, yeah, but you're right. Well, you're right. Nobody <laughs> can do that. As John said, he said, you want to take Jesus with you when you go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is that story, right? He goes, hey, drop the net on the other side. <laughs> they, can't, they can't pull it up because it's so heavy. Yeah, that's right. What else? Feeding the 5,000. He does that twice, by the way. Yeah. One time 4,000, one time 5,000. Walked on water. Walked on water. What else? The, he talked to the wind and the storm. Calm the storm. Making, yep. making the mud. Oh, yeah. Healing. Yeah, that healing. healing. Why in the world did he make the mud? What was up with that? Why? Like, he could have just spoken the guy healed, right? Well, yeah. Got to get everybody's attention. He did it to make a point. Yeah. You can go I mean, dirt and spit, come on. And he it's dirty, it's that. unclean, you know, but that he can make all things go clean. You know, not for nothing, but those are the original components of the construction. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? You made that. Uh, there you go. That's where Adam came from, right? Mud and, and the, spit. The, yeah. The dirt and the water. Yep. And he didn't know the Sabbath Messed up. Uh, he missed out the Pharisees. Yeah. I love that one. Oh. And when he made them mad, they tried to grab him and just disappeared. Disappeared, yeah. There was a, there's one where they take him out. They're in Nazareth, right? And they take him out by the, the cliff of the, of the precipice. And, and like they're going to throw him off, and then he just walks through the crowd. Yeah, that was a good one. What else? His first miracle with turning the water into wine. Yep. Yep. 
It's because mom told him to. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, woman, it's not my time. But he did. All right. <laughs> what were you going to say, Kathy? He taught with parables so people could understand. Yeah, or not understand. That was the interesting thing about it. Yeah. He's all the time teaching in parables, which is how appropriate that we're in a section in the lectionary where we're like all over the parables right now. Yeah, he taught with parables. What else? They were thought provoking. They were thought, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was his whole idea there is that help children help themselves when you got to think about it a little bit. Yeah. Good. I wish I had been at Emmaus when he had told them everything. Yeah, when he opened their eyes to the whole thing. He opened their eyes to the Old Testament. That is cool. You know, one of the things that stands out for me in the human side of Jesus is how, how Jesus desires so much to be in relationship with. Mm-hmm. How he wants to be around people. He wants to not only be around them in the good times of life, but in all circumstances. Like in the message this morning, we're talking about suffering and affliction. Jesus is, is right there. So, as God, you have a God that wants to be with you, not just when things are going good, but especially when things are going south or the way yeah. you don't want them to go and you're waiting on God. And that's when our reading from Romans today talks about praying, you know. And uh, that speaks volumes to me that how much God wants to be with me and with you. Um, and just uh, maybe that's just because I'm getting older, but I, I, I just and, I, and I'm a person. If you haven't figured out by now, I'm a person that doesn't like to spend a lot of time by myself. I like to be around yeah, people. Yeah. So I rely on that fact. I said fact. That God is with me even when I feel alone. I remind you. I just want to add that for the human, the humanity side of Jesus, yeah. the relational yeah. aspect. I like it. Anything else? Yeah. He fed 5,000 people. There you go. 4,000. Yeah. With uh, the loaves of bread and fish. Here's a neat bit of trivia for you, and it's something that you don't get in the translations. Y'all have already heard this because <laughs> we talked about it in our small group. But those two accounts are interesting. Because when he finishes feeding the first group, which is the 4,000, they pick up seven baskets, I think it is. And that's what we get in the translations. They picked up seven baskets of the leftovers. And then he goes on, he feeds the 5,000, they picked up 12 baskets of the leftovers there. The numbers may or may not be significant, but what is interesting, and you don't get in the translations, is that the word for basket is actually different in the two accounts. The word that he uses for basket in the first account is a, is a distinctively Jewish style of basket. And the word that's used for basket in the second account is a distinctively Gentile type of basket. So what's, what's interesting is it kind of it, it reiterates this idea that Jesus comes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, but that he comes for all. That it's not just Jewish crowds that he's feeding here, that on the one hand, the first time it's a Jewish crowd, but the second time it's clearly a Gentile crowd because of the types of baskets that they have on hand to pick up the leftovers. Just a little bit of trivia, but but you don't get it in a translation because we just say basket, you know. Was one basket smaller than the other? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. There, though, I will tell you though, along those lines. The, the account of turning water into wine, if you read that account carefully, there's six jars. Yeah. Why six? You know, what's up with that? And, and 
What? Imperfect. Well, it's imperfect because it would have been a set of seven. We used to do seven. Would have been a set of seven jars. Yeah, odd numbers look better, right? <laughs> um, so some, some, and the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> But it, it's an interesting detail that you get, and it's like, wonder why did I get the detail and what's that about? And it could be one that it's an imperfect set. It could be that the six refers to kind of the six days of creation, and and here's God do, here's Jesus doing a, a creation kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of ways that you can take that apart, but it, it's six just there's an interesting detail. Oh, it's a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that's all it was. <laughs> He said it's a six pack. In a desert nice. is a case twenty four. Water is precious. Yes. Correct? Yes. Especially clean water. So in having those six jars to wash feet, do you think that they would waste mm. drinking water on that? So what they do, the the slaves or whoever the servants go out to the creek, pull up some water, fill those. They don't go to the well. They don't want to make the well run dry. So the the jars are for washing feet. That's dirty water. You can't drink it. So it's the bad. Mm. It's but, made good. It's but, 365 gallons, by the way. Yeah. And he <laughs> That's thinks probably about right. <laughs> that not potable water and makes the perfect wine. So it takes the unclean to make it the most clean. I think my favorite detail of the whole thing is the abundance of it all. Like, it's not just that he turned water into wine. He made so much wine that they will never run out. But, I mean, it's like you, you've got more wine than you're going to drink in the rest of your life. It's the high-quality wine. Yeah, it's good stuff, yeah. It's good stuff. All right, um, so why, according to Article 3, did Christ die? Why did he die? To reconcile the Father. Yeah, there you go. Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, where's the language? What does it say exactly? He did this, it's the first paragraph. He did this to reconcile the Father to us and to be a sacrifice not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of mankind. Now, we've already talked about in Article 2, original sin. This disease that we inherit genetically from Adam. And that what they're doing is they're making the point here that it's not just for the sins that you've committed, it's also for the sins that you've inherited. Okay? So they're making the point that that, that sacrifice was to cover all of it. Okay? Um, since his ascension, so he's crucified, he dies, goes to hell, resurrected, 40 days, and, or 50 days, 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. Since then, what does Christ do for his redeemed people? He sends the, uh, the, he sends the, um, the Holy Spirit. That's what you're going to say. The parakeet. No, 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 the paraclete. The paraclete, the helper. It is good that I leave, because if I don't leave, then the helper won't come. So when he ascends, he's always sending the Holy Spirit. And that's that verse that we actually heard today in the reading from, from Romans, right? That the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. So he's, it's that presence and that sending 
That's right. Um, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He forever reigns and has dominion over all creatures. He sanctifies those who believe in him by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive. He defends them against the devil and the power of sin. So that's where it's all laid out in the confessions. Why do you suppose did the confessors rely on the Apostles' Creed for the article on Christ? Brent? <laughs> you don't have to answer the question. I'll throw it out. But yeah, right. And and again, it's to make that tie back to the historical church to say, hey, this is, we're not making up new stuff here. We're teaching what the church has always taught. So he's focusing on scriptures. That, in other words, he's not. They're not what. Um, Luther is focusing on is, is telling the court is that we're we're going back to the original scripture. Yeah. We're not, yeah, yeah. We're not creating other stuff. Yes, exactly. Related to the That's a lot of what's going on here is uh, is to is to make the point that what was being taught in Lutheran churches was nothing new. That and he's going back to the sources. Ad fontis is the, the Latin term for it. They sometimes bump into. They're going back to the creed. They're going back to scripture. They're going, you know, all of this stuff is stuff that's been around for a long time. And, and we're not making new stuff up. In fact, what we're trying to do is to tear down the new stuff that isn't in there that has been added over time. That's, I mean, that's really what Luther was about. Luther was frosted that the Catholic Church had added all this junk in they didn't have anything to do with what Scripture actually said. And so it, it's a lot of it is about kind of tearing away the, the cruft that has been accumulated over the centuries to get back to what Scripture and what the original confessions actually say, what the creeds say. And that's really hard when you change people's actions. Sure. They've done and they've done and they just know it's right. Yeah, because this is how we've always done it. Yeah. And that's our job today to maintain it. Yeah, and to and, and to churches right now are losing it, and or, or, or adding junk to are it. adding something right. yeah. or right. taking away. Right. Yeah. Every time they divide the churches, they add something <laughs> to make it fit. Well, if you don't like the creed, you write your own. We were talking about this purple. Oh don't my gosh! Time here. Look at it. <laughs> don't look it up. No, it's no, terrible. This, okay, so. What is that? Oh, no. Oh, you got to look it up on Oh, YouTube. now we're going there. No, no. Jeff, we don't need to say what it is, just well, a basic overview. It, okay, so here. <laughs> there was a video that rolled around, uh, I don't know, two or three weeks ago of a, a ELCA church, and, and it's a video of worship, and they get to the point in the service where they're going to do the creed, and the pastor, who's a woman, says, and we now confess our faith in the words of the Sparkle Creed. Sparkle. The Sparkle Creed. And the Sparkle Creed starts off by saying we we believe in the one God whose pronouns are plural, and it just goes downhill from there. Um, it was. And it was written by a Methodist something or other. That's like nonsense. It, it is nonsense. It really is. It's an actual church. In Edina, Minnesota, right, really exists. Right. So, but to your point, I mean, you know, if we want to, 
if we're not happy with what like the actual faith says, and we start writing our own creeds and making stuff up. And that's what's going on there. I mean, it's, you know, the confession of Jesus in the creed is that we believe in, in their son um, who wore a fabulous tunic. I don't remember where it went from there, but my head exploded at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It, yeah, it's a caricature. Right. Yes. Question. Um, in Exodus, when they were uh, liberated from Egypt, when they were going through the desert, they crossed the, the ocean, and and, um, and they got the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Those were given to uh, to Moses. To Moses by God. Right. And they were given to us so that we have some guidelines. Right. To follow. Right. And then when Jesus came, uh, that. The Ten Commandments was uh, is about sacrificing, um, killing um, um, animals, and burning them, and sacrificing. Not so much in the Ten Commandments, Not the Ten Commandments. Well, during that time, during that time, they did a lot of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when Jesus came, he says to to us, um, he didn't um, negate all of that Ten Commandment, but he just built on it, saying that uh, love one another, and he replaces all of that. If you love one another. You don't do all their other bad stuff. Well, so what, what Jesus does is he summarizes the commandments, right? Oh, so he says, hey, listen, there's ten commandments out there. And, you know, we break it down into the first three. No other gods. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Okay, first three commandments. Um, those are about this relationship, right, between yes. me and God. And the remainder of the commandments, honor your father and your mother... Um, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet your neighbor's people or his stuff, or stuff or people, I don't remember the word, are all about this relationship, right? The horizontal relationship. How do I now live with others and live that out? And Jesus summarizes and he goes, hey, the, the, all of that boils down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Those are the two tables, basically. So if you follow so, those, you're, you're well, living up to the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and in a sense, you know, we've talked about the kind of the, the grammatical force of the commandments. Because, you know, we all, I think we tend to hear the commandments as like God wagging his finger at us or something. You, know? yeah. you shall not do this. You shall not do that. And, and grammatically, that's not what's going on in no. Hebrew. In the Hebrew, if you were to translate it like straight up, the way it reads grammatically, it would be you will not do this, you will not do that. And and what's interesting about it is I, I think in a sense what God's doing is he's given some guidelines about what it looks like when you're in a right relationship with God. Okay, If you understand God is God and I am not, he's the creator, I'm his creature, um, my desire is to follow him and to do what he wishes, then here's what it looks like. You won't have any other gods. You won't take his name in vain. You will honor the Sabbath day. You know, and so in that sense, it paints a picture of what it looks like to live in a right relationship with God. Now, when Jesus comes, he doesn't toss them out, right? He just compliments them. Right? Well, what he does is fulfill them, one. I mean, he does the thing that we can't do. Um, and, and he doesn't, like, negate them or throw them out or anything. But, but he says, basically, listen, you need to live your life based on love 
and and you've been freed from from like the the fear of you know tripping up on one of these things or something because I've dealt with the sin problem. So let this be now a guide for you. So there's really there's three purposes to the law. Okay, first off, it's a mirror. The law is held up in front of you and it basically shows you your sinfulness. It shows you your shortcomings. It shows you your failures. It shows you your inability to actually live a life the way God wants you to. Okay. The second thing is it's a curb. So knowing what the commandments are kind of puts some boundaries around what your actions are. So you sort of know when you're about to run off the road and do something stupid. So it, it's, it curbs your behavior because you know what the, what the laws are. And the third thing, and this is the positive sense of it, is it's a guide. It's like, okay, it's, it's kind of, I mean, uh, you know, it's sort of schmaltzy, but the, you remember in the, in the 90s they had those bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? It's kind of like the embodiment of that. It's like, what should I do in this situation? Well, the commandments are going to give you some guidance to what it looks like to love God and to love your neighbor. And so they become a positive guide for, for how you live. So Jesus doesn't throw them out. He doesn't get rid of them. He keeps them perfectly, which we can't do. And then says, now, go out and do the best you can. And don't worry about failing. And what, what, it, what he does for us is he frees us to, to actually go out and love people without the fear that we're going to do it wrong. You know? Yeah. Like to actually just love people. It shows us a different path. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Pam. Matthew... Starting at verse 17, it talks about the fulfillment of the law. Yeah. I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And then it goes into several things. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not. But I tell you, you you know, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry. You know, and it, yeah. and it, it goes adultery. You heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at a woman, divorce. You know, it's been said this, but I tell you, oaths, eye for eye. It goes through, you know, quite a few of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he doesn't get rid of them. He doubles down. Yes, he, he <laughs> right? doesn't. He doesn't say you, you Pharisees and Sadducees who have been saying that you're living the law perfectly, you're not because the law also meant this and this and this. Right. So I think the mistake the Pharisees made was that they felt like the law was the means of salvation. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's why, I mean, for the Pharisees, so biblically, like there's 10 commandments, right? No, there's 613 of them. In all different categories. If you if you go through and enumerate every place where God says you shall or you shall not, 613 what are called mitzvah in, in the Hebrew. For the Pharisees, they were like, okay, cool. Here's the rules. This is what we got to do. And and a lot of what happened then was, listen, if, if this is a rule, right, if this is a law that God has given us, we want to be really, really careful not to transgress it. So we're going to build a fence around it, which will be another law. We're going to create this new law that we made up that, that in t- the intention is to keep you from going too far and actually transgressing the actual law. And that's good. That's very helpful. But whew, we want to be sure we're really super safe. So we're going to add another law around that. And they keep adding stuff into it about things you can't do to, to 
for best of intentions, right? The whole idea is to protect you from accidentally breaking the law, which is why you can't say the name of the Lord. You can't say Yahweh because you might accidentally say it wrong. Right? You might accidentally take the Lord's name in vain. So if you never say his name, now you're safe. OMG. Right. <laughs> oh, for God, Dar Dar. <laughs> one of my favorite ones that translates into now is they've taken, you shall not you know, keep the Sabbath day holy, you shall right. not work. Right. To, oh, my goodness. You know, Israel now is a Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. They're not allowed to press a button on that. Right, right. That, that is a true story. So when you get to your hotel, if you're on the tenth floor, you got to stop at every yeah. floor on the. So what way. I have somebody so Sabbath uh, elevators yeah. that stop at yeah. every floor. My question is, do you have to wait for a Christian to get in the elevator? <laughs> 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 they've, got, they've got their own Sabbath elevator. There's only one elevator in the building. Well, that That's it. That sucker stopping on every floor. <laughs> so they've taken the thou shalt not work. Right. Which actually they put a fence around it. Exactly. Which, you know, part of the reason that the Pharisees were so freaked out that Jesus made the mud was because that counted as work. That's work? That was work. It was essentially need it was like you couldn't need bread and that was creating something. Creating something is work. Right. And and again, so Jesus like he flips out of that kind of stuff because he's like, wow, you just like totally missed the point. That the point was that here's some things that, that kind of are signs that you're in a right relationship with God and you've turned it into this club that you beat people over the head with. That's not the intention. And how do we do that today? Oh, we, we never do that today. But, <laughs> we just ignore it. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, go ahead, Myra. You know, I was just going to comment on one thing, and you said a while back, when you're referring to the paralytic being lifted down yeah. through the river, I just watched that last week on The Chosen. Oh, really? And it's, it's amazing. I mean, that, the, the motivation for that group to get that paralytic. You're talking about a roof that was probably this thick. I, I'm kind of putting it also, it's been interesting, that series yeah. uh, of watching that. They kind of fill in. Because we don't get a background on some of the, like the disciples from what was going on. Yeah. And, and like with Matthew in there, how the script is, the script was put together by uh, a priest and a, a rabbi and a, a evangelist. Okay. But that Matthew, to show him in there, he's pretty well uh, living a good life. They come to him and pay the taxes. He has a Roman soldier, you know? Yeah. If you don't pay yours, you get a knock on the door with a Roman soldier. And then there were instances where he's seen Jesus and, and they put like an eye to eye contact. And then when uh, he's, Jesus asked him to come be his disciple, well, then Jesus' disciple, oh, oh, Master, what are you doing? You've seen all what's going on with Matthew. With, I mean, right. it, it, it is, and you can debate whether, you know, some of the script in there, but it does make you uh, think a little further and give you more yeah. insight. Of this eclectic group he brought together, right? <laughs> Yeah, that is interesting. That, was, that, that series is done by Angel Studios, which did the uh, sound, uh, yeah, the Sound of Freedom, Sound of Freedom, yeah. and also I think it was the uh, the movie that Mel Gibson uh, Passion of the Christ. Christ. I Christ. don't know if they did that one. No, I, I, I think, think I think no, I think no, Mel Gibson no, paid no, for that one, that one. Oh, out of his own pocket. Angel yeah. Studios is the, the guy that comes on before the Chosen. Yeah. Thing. 
and so, they don't do another season until they already have all the money. Oh, well. Yeah, interesting. It, it, it does kind of make you think. Well, and it, it, it gives you a little bit more insight into kind of what was going on and what the context for some of that stuff happening was. Yeah. Well, you don't think about Matthew joins these other people who lived in the same town, so they paid their taxes to right. him. Right, right. And, you know, think of the disciples as this big, happy group just loving each other like, you know, best buds. But how long would it have taken Matthew to really have yeah. been absorbed by the group? Yeah, that's true. He that's wasn't true. taking people that were... You know, yes, there were sets of brothers, but the rest of them, they were so different, and yet he brought them all together yeah. for, for that. It, it's, it's a really good picture of, of how... Well, and it's a recurring theme, I think, that God does pretty amazing things through sinful people. Mm-hmm. It's pretty astonishing. All right, we're going to quit there, and we will pick up there next week. Um, just a little homework for you, because next week is fifth Sunday. So for worship, um, you guys call the hymns. So if you have particular ones that you like, you might want to look at them ahead of time and have those numbers. Because, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a free-for-all on the hymns next week. <laughs> What's the limit? <laughs> there are three hymns. In the, no, wait, actually, we got communion next week. No, we don't. We, no, we don't. So, yeah, there's three hymns. Three hymns. Yeah. So it's, you know, whoever gets their hand up first and I see them. Or actually, you're leading worship next week, probably. So it's whoever my, Pastor Mike sees first. Insiders. All right. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's close with a prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks and praise. Um, just astonishing to see the lengths that you went to to bring us salvation, that you humbled yourself to be born, to be to live, to die, um, to rise again, just to, to save us from our own sins, from our own failures and our shortcomings. We, we just marvel at that. We thank you for the faith that you have brought us to and the trust that we have in you and the salvation that comes along with it and the forgiveness of our sins. Be with us as we go forth from here. Guide and lead us in everything that we do, that it might be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.